Good morning to each and every one of you. Um, we're going through a series entitled, How Then Shall We Live? And the, the, the theme of this series is, as people who are recipients of the immense, immeasurable love of God, as people who are recipients of such amazing grace, how then should we live? And so we're going to deal with a, a topic this morning that I think is very, very important and significant, something that we all deal with. In fact, if I ask you to raise your hand this morning, if you have ever been hurt by someone deeply enough that you had difficulty forgiving them, I'm sure that most of you would raise your hand. Life has some painful relationship experiences in it, and some of them are with people we are closest to. Spouses, co-workers, fellow believers, even best friends. Um, somebody said, if it weren't for people, life would be easy, right? Uh, so how do we keep from going through life offended? How do we keep from going through life hurt, wounded? How do we keep from sort of perpetually thinking, how could they do this to me? How are we to react to injury, to offenses, to people who disappoint us in some way? Now that we are children of God, if we are children of God, born of the Spirit, loved by Christ, and washed in His blood, how do we, how do we react to difficult people, to hard situations? Well, I think this is exactly the issue Paul is addressing here in Ephesians Four verses 31 and 32. And he begins with a very simple, bold instruction. Get rid of all bitterness. And he ends with a very simple, bold instruction. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, we have all been hurt. The question is, how do we respond The question is, do we respond with these old emotions of bitterness or with forgiveness, with love and forgiveness? And so this verse really lays out very starkly uh, two different ways to live. There are two ways to respond to hurt. The old self deals with it one way, and the new self deals with it a completely different way. The old self responds to personal injury with malice, with bitterness, anger, rage, brawling, and slander. But if you remember just a few verses back, what did Paul tell us? He said, put off the old self, which he said belongs to your former manner of life. He said, that's those things are past. Those, those days are over. Time is past for you to respond that way. Put off the old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt. This old self with its old responses, Paul says, is corrupt through deceitful desires. So all of these things that Paul lists first, all of these things that Paul lists first in verse 31, malice, bitterness, anger, rage, brawling, slander, etc., all of those things in Paul's list are the wrong reaction 
to some kind of personal injury. They are the old, filthy clothes of the old self, not the new clothes of love and forgiveness that you have been given through Christ. So we're going to look at these just real briefly one by one. Verse 31 begins, get rid of all bitterness. Bitterness, I think probably everybody here knows what it is, but it's, it's smoldering resentments. It is brooding over the insults and injuries that you have received. It is playing an offense over and over in your mind until it turns you sour and unhappy. It is a refusal to forgive or to be reconciled. And God simply says to us through the Apostle Paul, get rid of all of this. All of it must be put off. All of it must be removed. And I honestly think some people inwardly protest at this. Oh, but you don't know how I have been hurt. Or you don't know how much that a person offended me. You don't know how insulted or humiliated I felt. You don't know what they did to me. Well, God does know. I may not know, but God does know. And he is trying to help you. He is trying to help us deal with that right here, right now, through this revelation of Scripture, of God's Word. He is showing you the way to freedom from bitterness. And the way to freedom, this isn't the complete answer, but the the way to freedom begins with rejecting it. It it begins with a hard no. It, It begins with dying to your natural reactions, dying to your hurt feelings, saying no to your desire to internalize and harbor resentment. And this can be hard because Satan is right there to encourage you to indulge in self-pity. Satan is right there to help you indulge in the self-pity of bitterness. A guy by the name of M.P. Green wrote this, which, which I thought was, uh, was, a, was pretty vivid. Uh, you know, Jesus said, come unto me. Well, he says, Satan's invitation is come unto me. All you that are grieved, peeved, misused, and disgruntled. And I will spread on the sympathy. You will find me a never-ending or a never-failing source of the meanest attitudes and the most selfish sort of misery. At my altar, you may feel free there to sigh and to fret. There I will feed your soul on fears and indulge your ego with envy and jealousy, bitterness, and spite. So, I mean, Satan's right there to help you indulge in bitterness. And sometimes even other people may encourage you to indulge your bitter feelings. You know, sometimes rather than helping you to have a godly response to offense, your spouse or your best friend may say, oh, you poor thing, you have a right to be bitter about that. I would never speak to her again or to him again. She is dirt. And I have seen a person's good friends really help foster hate and bitterness rather than forgiveness, kindness, and love. You know, what we should say, it doesn't mean we should be cold and indifferent to people that are hurting. But what we should say is something like this, I hurt with you, and God sees what you have been through. But let's pray that God would give you the grace to demonstrate Jesus in this very painful situation. And I will be there right at your side to help encourage you to show the world 
how a spirit-filled person, how a Christ-filled person acts in a situation like this. I will be your best friend and help you do what Jesus wants you to do. Three dangers associated with bitterness. Number one, bitterness can become an idol. You can reach the point that your thoughts are no longer on the Lord, but on how you have been wronged. And before you know it, you are worshiping at the idol of hurt feelings. You can get to the point where you're thinking a lot of the time, a lot of the time, about some unfair or unjust treatment. You can get to the point where you are upset a lot of the time that somebody got away with something they shouldn't have. And when you're focusing on that, then God really does not have your worship. That offense or that injury or that hurt feeling has your worship. God doesn't have your love and attention. The wrong thing does. Secondly, bitterness can do great damage to your soul and emotions. Uh, Evangelist Louis Palau writes, A friend of mine went through a massive emotional breakdown. And after his recovery, we went went for a walk. Louis, he told me, don't ever allow anyone to make you bitter. My problem began, this problem that led to his emotional breakdown. He says, my problems began when I got so worked up about the contractor who didn't build my basement and driveway right. I hated what he'd done to my home. And since he lived next door, I saw him almost daily. And each time I saw him, my anger and bitterness grew even more intense until I finally cracked. Now, that illustration kind of hits home. I hope nobody's bitter at, <laughs> bitter at me. But, you know, we can become bitter at somebody that does something that wrongs us in some way. And maybe that guy didn't build his basement right or his driveway right. But this guy focused on that and focused on that to the point where he actually had an emotional breakdown. Bitterness can destroy you physically and emotionally and is probably the source of a lot of, of sicknesses and disease even. Third, bitterness causes you to lose a measure of your experience of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Josh talked about the verse, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, this verse about do not or get rid of all bitterness follows right on the heels of of that command to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And perhaps nothing grieves the Holy Spirit as much as bitterness, grudges, and unforgiving attitudes. Wayne Grudem, uh, who wrote a, a systematic theology, said, the Holy Spirit gives stronger or weaker evidences of his power and blessing according to our response to him. If we grieve him... Through things like bitterness, we will lose a measure of our experience of his life, power, and blessing. So there's lots of good reasons to obey what God says here and get rid of all bitterness. Next, Paul says, get rid of all rage. Rage is the outburst of anger. It is when you show your anger, when you demonstrate how angry you are. Outbursts of anger... Or when you let someone have it, when you blast away at someone, you lose it, or you explode on someone. And angry outbursts are all a part of this old 
corrupt, sinful self that Paul says we are to put off. Get rid of all anger. You know, most anger is sinful. And we are not just to put off outbursts of anger, but anger itself. I mean, you can't say, well, just because I didn't scream and yell and have a fit, I'm okay. No, if you're just simmering in anger, that's still not okay. You're to put off not only outbursts of anger, but to get rid of all anger. So God is not just calling you to to stop blowing your stack. He's saying, you know, get rid of the anger behind that. Psalm 37, 8 says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Get rid of all clamor or brawling. I think in the uh, version that we had in our bulletin this morning, I think it said brawling. Uh, My NIV says clamor. Uh, It's translated a little bit differently in some different translations. But the word here literally means to make a noise or to make an angry noise. F.F. Bruce calls it quarrelsome shouting. So so God, through the Holy Spirit, says, get rid of all quarrelsome shouting. You know, where there is anger, voices get raised. People get loud. And you should recognize that as the old self, the old sinful corrupt self, and put it off. Get rid of all slander. The word here is often translated blaspheme. It would include any kind of abusive language toward another person. It would include name-calling. It is saying things that injure or tear down another person. It is getting together with a friend and saying terrible things about another person. Get rid of all slander. And then Paul kind of summarizes, I think, at the end here, get rid of all forms of malice. Malice is any kind of hostility or or ill will. It's just any kind of evil feeling or ill will it's the opposite of feeling good toward another person. It's having or, or having hostility or, or ill will. Uh, instead of letting go of an offense, it is that desire to hurt another person back. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8 says, We are to keep the festival not with the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without this yeast of malice, with bread of sincerity and truth. When you celebrate the Lord's Supper, do so without malice towards any person. Certainly, we should let go of malice or get rid of it on a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment basis. But certainly, when we celebrate the festival or when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that is for sure a time to make sure that we have put away all malice toward any other person. And I like the fact that Paul said, get rid of all forms of malice. It's kind of like, it's kind of like okay, if I, if I didn't cover something, this covers it. I mean, some people might think, well, you know, Paul didn't mention giving someone the silent treatment so I can get by with that. Or he didn't say I couldn't slam the door or pout or mutter under my breath so I can get by with that. No, Paul says all forms, all forms of ungodly responses to others are to be put off. We're to get rid of all forms of that. And I think we have to focus a little bit just on this, the, the, the command here, get rid of. Remove. 
Paul is, Paul is saying, or God is saying to us through Paul, there is no place for these things in the life of a Christian. I, I'm not saying a Christian never falls into these sinful reactions to injury. But like James said, my brothers, these things ought not to be. In other words, these things, they may happen, but they should not happen. These kind of things ought not to happen among believers. Repentance is turning away from these things and putting on the new self. Cast these things off. Put them off. Deal drastically with them. Don't show any sympathy toward these emotions and feelings. Deny yourself the right to indulge in these kinds of responses. And the scripture is full of commands like this. Titus 3, 1 through 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice. There's that word again. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But how could he say it any, any plainer? This is part of your past. At one time, we too were this way. We lived, past tense, in malice. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. And then he goes on to say, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is, what is good. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. Again, that same word. Every form of hostility toward other people. Rid yourselves of all malice and like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And if, if you follow the flow of thought, I mean, a lot of times, I, I think most of us that have been believers for a time, we've heard that statement, like newborn babies desire the milk of the word so that you may grow. And so we think, okay, the way to grow is to get in the word, Right? The way to, go is, to grow is to have the word saturate our lives, and it is. But Paul says first, or Peter says first, get rid of all malice and then desire the milk of the word so that you may grow in respect, of salva- in respect to salvation. It is, it is almost like uh, the assumption here is that the first step in growing spiritually is to rid yourselves of malice. Colossians 3.19, husbands, do not be embittered against your wives. And I could go on and on. There's just scripture after scripture that gives us clear commands to put off, to totally renounce and repudiate these things of anger, bitterness, malice, etc. So, in a very real sense, what is the cure for bitterness and anger? I mean, I think people ask all the time, you know, how, how, do, how, how do I deal with my bitterness? How do I deal with my anger? How do, what, how do I work through this? Well, in a very real way, the cure for bitterness and anger is obedience. <laughs> Put it off. I mean, get rid of it. I mean, that's, that's really what God says to us here. The answer is just out and out rejection. Give it no place, no mercy. Don't give it a foothold. And it's much, much easier to deny its entrance than it is to get rid of it once it's there. So when you're offended, when you're hurt, when you experience injustice, instead of nursing a grudge or holding on to a grudge, do just the opposite. Slam the door 
on all forms of bitterness and malice and slam that door as fast and as hard as quick as you can. Then we are to put on the new self. And the new self, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the new self, remember, is created by God. This is something that God puts in you. And if you're saved, if you're regenerated, if you're born again, if, you're, if you have new life through the Holy Spirit, you have this new self in you, created by God, and created to be like God, created to make you like God as you put on this new self. God put this in you. This isn't something that you work up or force up on your own. If you are a born-again, saved person with Jesus Christ living in you, with the Holy Spirit in you, you have these qualities that we're going to talk about. They're there. God put them in you. You couldn't make them up on your own. You had to have them by the supernatural power and working of God. But they are there if Christ is in you. And you are to put them on. You put off this old stuff, this old corrupt, sinful stuff, and you put on this new stuff that God has put in you, like a new set of clothes. God gave you the new set of clothes. They're not yours, but you put them on. So this is a quality of life that you can walk in, all right? Don't, don't, don't put this off as, oh, that's, that's impossible. I could never, that's just unrealistic to, to live that way. Uh, this is something that you can walk in if you are born again. And so as this new person in Christ, as this new person who has the Spirit of God born within you, you now are to treat others like God has treated you. So God has been kind to you, even though you are a sinner who has offended him. So you are to be kind like him. God has been compassionate and tender-hearted to you. So you are to be tender-hearted like him. God has lavished forgiveness upon you. So you are to be forgiving other people lavishly. Like God. So instead of being bitter, angry, hurt, living in malice, verse 32 turns this completely around, gives us the complete other way, the complete new way, the complete opposite way that as people saved by Christ, washed in the blood of Christ, filled in the Holy Spirit, how we are now to live. And verse 32 simply says, be kind. Be good, be gracious, be generous, pleasant, instead of angry, bitter, etc. A guy by the name of Lehman Strauss said, Kindness is that gentle, gracious, easy-to-be-entreated manner that permits others to be at ease in our presence. Something about that definition I like. I mean, you know when you're around kindness, right? And you just you feel at ease when somebody's being kind to you. I mean, it feels good, right? When when you are being treated with kindness, there, there's a gentleness to it, a graciousness to it, and that's as new people in Christ. That's how we're to be. We're to be kind, and not only kind. It says and be compassionate or tender-hearted. Some versions translate it. Uh, the word compassionate means to be easily moved. To love, 
easily moved to love or pity for someone else. The old self becomes hard-hearted. But we are to be just the opposite. As new people, we are to be tender-hearted, soft toward people. And forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is a great act of love. Some, some have called it the greatest act of love. It's a God thing. It's a God-like thing. It's not a human thing. It's not a thing that comes out of our flesh. It's a thing that comes out of the Holy Spirit within us. It is giving up your right to hurt those who hurt you. It is giving up your right to strike back. It is setting that other person free from your judgment and condemnation. You know, Jesus said, forgive and you will be forgiven. Or set others free and you will be set free. Here in Ephesians, the concept is more, you have been set free by God, now go set others free. You have been forgiven, now go forgive others. And I like this concept of being freed or released, having to do with sin, and, and it's, it's biblical. First, Revelation 1 verse 6 says, talking about Jesus, it says, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Some translations say to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. But the idea here is that God released you. God loved you. Jesus loved you and released you from your debt of sins. Now, go and do the same. Go release others from their sins and offenses against you. Forgiveness is not denying that you've been hurt. Forgiveness is not denying that real sin, real evil may have been committed by another person against you. May have. Sometimes we're, we're super easily offended and not sure that anything real bad has happened. But sometimes it has. Sometimes real hurts have been perpetrated against you. And in, in forgiveness, we are, we're not denying that. We're not denying the evil or the hurt. But we are saying, still in acknowledging that, I forgive you or I forgive this person. I release you from, from my wrath, from my judgment, and I give you grace, mercy, compassion, and forgiveness just as God gave me those things in Christ. And this really is the key, just as in Christ God forgave you. I don't think you will ever become a really wholehearted, enthusiastic, forgiving person until you know and understand the love and grace and forgiveness of God for you. So we forgive just as in, in Christ God forgave you. Do you know how kind God has been to you? I mean, do you really know it? Do you, do you know it and feel that deep within you? Do you know how compassionate God has been to you? I mean, is that something that, that you really feel in your heart? Do you know how much sin and wickedness God has forgiven you? Do you really? Do you, just, do you know how totally and freely God has forgiven you? That he's removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. You I mean, do you know that in your heart? Then that's, that's the motivation, that's the power, that's what drives us, what compels us. To forgive others.
I don't think we can ever know even, uh, even one small percentage of our sins and offenses against God. I, I remember Francis Schaeffer described them as an iceberg where, you know, what we see is like above the water, just, just a small part of this, but this gigantic mass is under the water that we never see. But think of even just what you know. Think of all that you have said and thought throughout a lifetime or maybe even a day or a week. Think of all the times you've been angry or bitter, things that it tells us not to do right here in this verse. Um, think of all the cruel thoughts and unkind things, thoughts that you've had toward others, all the unkind words or the unloving attitudes you've had toward others, all the unkind or unloving words that you've spoken, all the inappropriate words that you've spoken, all the swearing, all the lustful thoughts, all sexual sins of all kinds, all your pride and selfishness, all your offenses against a holy God, and on and on. And yet, in Christ, God totally forgives you and has released you from all punishment. You know, Tim Keller put it this way, forgiveness is possible only because you see and feel the reality of God's massive and costly forgiveness of us through Christ. Okay, I don't like to repeat things, but I'm going to, re- I'm going to re- repeat that. Forgiveness is possible only because you see and feel in your heart, you see and feel the reality of God's massive and costly forgiveness of us through Christ. The forgiveness of Christ gives us the emotional humility to forgive In other words, who am I to withhold forgiveness when I am such a sinner? That's from Tim Keller. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I say to the glory of God in an utter humility that whenever I see myself before God and realize even something of what my blessed Lord has done for me, I am ready to forgive anybody, anything. If we really know Christ as our Savior, our hearts are broken and cannot be hard, and we cannot refuse forgiveness. Tim Keller also said, right in connection with this other quote that I just read, he said, also what what God has done for us, he said, first of all, in that other quote, he said, it gives us the emotional humility to forgive. Who am I? to withhold forgiveness when I'm such a sinner. And he goes on to say, it also gives us the emotional resources to forgive. What has this person really robbed me of when I have so much in Christ? In other words, when you see yourself as so blessed in Jesus Christ, so amazingly loved by God, then you aren't that devastated by what others do to you. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I mean, we, we're real people with real feelings. I'm, not, not, you know, I'm not, not saying that. But yet, it doesn't, it doesn't destroy us because we've got something much bigger, much more powerful. We have the love of God. So what can happen to us if nothing can separate us from that love? So you aren't that devastated by what others do to you or what they can do to you because God's immense love and blessings 
far outweigh the power of that person to hurt you. So in kind of summarizing this section, these two verses, you are kind because God has been kind to you with a kindness you do not deserve. You show compassion because you've received a compassion that you did not deserve. You forgive because you have received an amazing forgiveness that you did not deserve. God has been better to you all around than you ever deserved. God has been better to you than you ever dared to dream. And so out of knowing that, out of feeling that, out of that reality, you are ready and even eager to be a forgiving person. All right, I'm going to wrap up this morning with just a few applications. Uh, Certainly everything we've said so far is to be applied, but I want to point out a few things that I think are important for us to take with us as we go. Number one, reject all thoughts that perpetuate unforgiving feelings and bitterness, such as, I have a right to feel this way. My hurt is beyond the power of forgiveness. My hurt is too great for a simple verse like this to work. I cannot forgive, and you cannot ask me to forgive that, and God cannot ask me to forgive that. Or some people say, God would not ask me to forgive that. Or you don't know what I'm up against. If you were in my place, you wouldn't forgive either. I mean, and on and on. I mean, all the, all the reasons that we come up with to disobey these verses are just, you know, myriad. There's just all kinds of statements, inner self-talk, that we can be saying to ourselves that keep us from the freedom and the liberty that God wants you to have on the basis of these two verses from Ephesians chapter 4. Secondly, do not underestimate the rightness of God's answer to bitterness, hurt, and injury. And basically what I mean by this application is is agreeing or acknowledging that God is right on this. God is right on this. He really is. These verses are the way to freedom. You may think to be forgiving is such a simple instruction for such a huge problem. It just can't work that way. But forgiveness is the chief answer given in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, for being set free from angry, bitter feelings. Number three. Give up thinking that life is about keeping score on whether you have been un, whether whether you have been justly treated or unjustly treated. I mean, some people go through life, they go through their day, and virtually all throughout the day, it's it's keeping score of was I treated justly or unjustly in this situation, and then we move on to the next situation: was I treated justly or unjustly? Did my wife speak to me? in a fair or unfair way about this. I mean, it's just this kind of continually keeping score of what's fair or unfair, just or unjust. But life is not about, or I should say the Christian life, the life in Christ is not about demanding that others treat you right. 
We are called to live on a whole different plane. We are called to live on a different level, a heavenly level. Watchman Nee tells this true story in his book, Sit, Walk, Stand, that has stayed with me for decades. And I remember it almost every time that I'm in a situation of hurt or offense. And he says this, a brother in South China, Watchman Nee was from China, so this is a China story. Uh, A brother in South China had a rice field in the middle of the hill. And in times of drought, drought, he used a water wheel worked by a treadmill to lift water from the irrigation stream up into his field. Okay, you get the picture? This guy's a Chinese guy. He's out here working this treadmill to, to pump water up to his rice field. His neighbor had two fields below his. And one night he made a breach in the dividing bank and drained off all his water, drained off all the water that this guy had worked so hard to pump up to his rice field. When the, brother, when the brother repaired the breach and pumped in more water, his neighbor did the same thing again. And this was re- repeated three or four times. So he, called it with, re- he consulted with his Christian brethren. I've tried to be patient and not to retaliate, he said, but what is right? After they had prayed about it, one of them replied, If we only try to do the right thing, surely we are very poor Christians. We have to do something more than what is right. The brother was very much impressed. And the next morning, he got up and he pumped water to the two fields of his neighbor below first. And then in the afternoon, pumped water for his own field. After that, the water stayed in his field. His neighbor was so amazed at his action that he began to inquire the reason, and in course of time, he too became a Christian. And I think that's a powerful story about a Christian man over in China. Nobody will ever know who he is or what his name is. A nobody, as far as the world is concerned, but he put off bitterness, anger, and revenge, and he put on kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. He didn't show his neighbor justice. He showed his neighbor God. And this morning, right here in Christ, you are invited to that same freedom. You are invited to the freedom of putting off all bitterness, rage, anger, quarrelsome shouting, and malice. And the life of Christ is offered to you today to help you do the same thing to your offenders that Jesus did to his offenders. Peter says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges rightly, or him who judges justly. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, you can't do this on your own. It's something that God puts in you. You yield yourself to this new life. You choose to put on this new life. And if you're a believer in Christ, Deep down, this is what you want to be. This is what you cry out to be. And deep down, this is what you are. And you put it on and you live in kindness, in compassion, and forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for these, these powerful verses, the way that they challenge us. We, uh, we thank you for Christ, for Christ invading our hearts and making a difference so that we 
can put off the old, corrupt, sinful ways of responding to life and to people and to respond in Christ-likeness because of the power of your very life within us. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know this amazing love, who doesn't know Christ in this personal, intimate way, who doesn't know this total forgiveness, who doesn't know this personal love, I pray that you would open their eyes or their heart right now and they would just tell you, I want this and receive this and receive Christ, his life, his forgiveness, his love today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming today and uh, may the grace and peace of uh, God be with you. And I'm going to say again what I said last time because this, this passage really, really needs it. Uh, now to him, or to the, to the God of peace who raised up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, may he, God himself, equip you in every good thing to do his will working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. All right, have a, have a wonderful, blessed Sunday afternoon.